Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm so happy to welcome back returning guest, Dr. Andre Gagne, all the way from, I think you're in Montreal, is that correct, in Canada? Yes, that's it. So welcome back to MindShift Podcast, Dr. Andre. Can I just call you Andre? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like Dr. Clint, right? Yeah, so. no, nobody calls me that, but yeah, it's true. So yeah. you've been at, you've been off Twitter, off social media for a while. Uh, it's been a long time since we actually touched base. I kind of wondered what happened to... Andre, you know, we you were the first one, I think, that I reached out to, oh, man, must have been at least three years ago, perhaps, yeah, to talk about yeah. Dominion theology. And so you've been uh, sort of, you know, inactive on social media. Why did you take a break? Oh, I just needed a break. You know, after the um, the 2020 elections, uh, that that year, specifically that year, was was a kind of very brutal <laughs> in mm-hmm. terms of media requests. Uh, I, I was compiling stuff uh, for our annual reports at Concordia, and I think I did like 120 interviews uh, during that year. So you kind of get, you know, a bit tired. <laughs> of yeah, that. no kidding. I just needed a break. I just needed to kind of uh, refocus, uh, do some other types of readings, uh, focus on research a bit, try to kind of think think about what 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 comes uh, after uh, 2020. And I got back on social media, in fact, and on Twitter more, more specifically, because I'm not really on, on the other platforms, in uh, October 2021. But it was very low-key. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, people start talking about uh, Charismatics, Pentecostals, Seven Mountains Mandate, Dominionism, stuff like that. And and it the urge to, of course, yeah. respond. You can't comes, resist. That's it. It's very difficult. So, uh, yeah. So things started picking up again. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty... Uh, <laughs> pretty on a pretty strong note so i'm i'm back i'm happy to be back in fact and, right. and uh, kind of reconnect with former colleagues and and people uh, that i had connected before with, with you for example clint and and others it was it, it's it's back it, it's it's fun to be back it's good to have you back for sure because i wondered whatever happened to andre gagne <laughs> and was glad to see you back on twitter somebody i think tagged you into a tweet or something a couple months back and i was like oh He's back. So we've been talking about, in fact, we talked about, I'm sure we'll get into this. You came out with a book probably a year and a half ago, I guess, but the thing was it was only in French. So that has a a certain amount of appeal uh, outside of, I guess, Montreal, that area, uh, French speaking people. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that book and and we can, you know, it's about the evangelicals that were behind Donald Trump, I think, wasn't it? So what, what's your sort of interest in dominion theology just sort of generally? Because as I say, you were the first person or one of the first people I reached out to a few years ago when I was really starting to research Rush Dooney, Christian Reconstructionism, Dominion Theology, yeah. which led me down these rabbit trails, Seven Mountains, as you mentioned. What was it that got you interested in in that topic generally? 
Ah, it, of course, the arrival of Trump made a big uh, significance on my thinking in terms of religion and politics. And uh, the experience that I have with uh, neo-charismatic Pentecostal groups, knowing very well this, this milieu, uh, brought me to engage in uh, serious research, uh, specifically focusing on these groups. Right? Because we can talk about evangelicalism in general, but uh, my book, which you mentioned, came out in 2020. Uh, that book was actually, um, in fact, a book that was really geared for, like you said, a French-speaking audience. Uh, more specifically, I would say Europeans mm. that were really wondering what's going on in America, you know, especially like France and Switzerland and Belgium. Uh, they have a different view of the relationship between religion and politics. And they, you know, a lot of people yeah. felt like, well, what's really going on mm -hmm. in America? So uh, that was, uh, I, had, I had a colleague from uh, Switzerland who contacted me. He's actually uh, the co-director of a collection of, uh, of works in the study of religion and sociology uh, more specifically. And uh, he asked, you know, Andre, if you're, if you're up to it, we would invite you to actually write a book on uh, Trump uh, evangelical supporters. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had, I had a very, very short window <laughs> to write this. So he contacted me, I remember it was in February of 2021, the publishing house, when we signed the contract, asked that I submit the manuscript of the book at the end of May. Of that wow. year, it's a short so that's turnaround. about like three. Yeah, that's really about three months. But I had done a lot of the research. You know, I had everything. Mm -hmm. It's just now constructing an argument and a narrative to explain what that is. And uh, so the book was was ready on time. And during the summer, uh, you know, the the, the copy editing stuff uh, went on, and the book came out in September because they wanted the book to appear to be published right before the elections, like mm -hmm. a month and a half to two months right before. And it really caught on. Like in, in, in Europe, you know, mainstream media outlets really uh, caught on. Uh, I, was, I was interviewed many, many times. And, and it still has repercussions. You see, I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm contacted regularly by people uh, across the pond. And uh, they are, uh, you know, asking me questions around uh, what's happening in America related to politics. Now, the good news about this book, which I think is a great is a great opportunity, is it, it will be translated in, in English. Ah. Um, so uh, we managed, in fact, I was, I was contacted by a colleague by the name of Linda Shanahan, who was a professor at, I think it's Buffalo State University. And she reads French and mm -hmm. she was wondering, oh, you know, this would be a great, book to be translated. I think, uh, you know, English-speaking Americans and even those outside America might be interested in, in the content of your book. And she uh, she willingly and freely <laughs> wow. decided to translate the book. And uh, we've been exchanging back and forth uh, to see how things were going in terms of the translation. And we were looking for a publisher. And that took quite some time. And uh, I had sent my book around to some colleagues in the US. And there was another colleague who is at uh, the James Madison University. And uh, she read the book. And she said, Listen, I'll try to contact uh, some of my, of my contacts, some of the people that I know, uh, that have edited my books, and she got in contact with Rutledge. And uh, so we, we kind of figured out something and the contract now is signed. 
Now, what's what's important to understand in terms of this book, this is a really this is a book that is a snapshot of what was happening in 2020 and prior to that, what led mm -hmm. to that. So when it's going to be translated, I will have a kind of an introductory preface mm -hmm. explaining uh, why this book came along. It's not going to yeah. change the content of the book because it's it's kind of like a an archive of right. what was happening at the time. Yeah, and snapshot. Probably, yeah, kind of a snapshot. And then probably add an epilogue explaining where we are now you see but the mm. but the book will, will remain that's like the the, the bulk yeah, the of core the will, yeah that's it will remain that and in that book of course i do talk about dominionism i talk about mm -hmm. seven mountains i talk about the new apostolic reformation i i kind of contextualize especially those neo-charismatic pentecostal supporters of trump because mm -hmm. you know that supporters of trump went beyond that of course, huh? you have Catholics and you have uh, mm -hmm. mainstream, like mainstream evangelicals and stuff like that. But I focus more particularly on this neo-charismatic Pentecostal brand mm -hmm. that people are less aware of, but are now becoming more aware. Of. I was going to say, yeah, we're seeing a lot of that on Twitter. There's yeah. this uh, Reawaken America tour. Yeah, and, I mean, it's a it's a hodgepodge of QAnon and the big lie and Trumpism and the evangelicalism, yeah. Dominion theology. It's a bunch of stuff all mixed in there, isn't it? But people are becoming more aware of the new apostolic reformation, some of the prophets and apostles and all that. Well, what's the argument of the book? Because I was thinking when you were talking about in Europe, it's certainly different because I live here in the UK. I'm doing this job right now for a guy who's actually a Christian. And we got to talking on the first day about what's the difference between the religious political scene in America versus in, in Britain. What have you, what's the differences that you notice as a Brit and me as an American? And I went into the whole thing about the fact that in, in America, the religious right and all that, they're so embedded in the political sector. And we just don't have that here in the UK and in Europe. Like you say, you go into yeah. a cathedral and it's pretty much empty. There's a few older people that more like a museum, isn't it? So what's your argument of the book? How, how would you encapsulate it? Yeah, essentially, I do explain exactly what you're saying. You see, a part of the book, especially in the introduction, is explaining a, a bit the history of neo-charismatic Pentecostals and eventually how they became politicized and mm. how that political uh, dimension is encapsulated very much in the New Apostolic Reformation. That's what I do in the book. It's, it's exactly that. Mm -hmm. And you need to explain that to people that are not familiar with these groups, these names, these various individuals. You need to explain that and really unpack some of the history. You have to make it accessible. You can't be too detailed on some of the, uh, some of the things because you know, it, all this language is a grammar in and of itself, as you know. Right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you've studied this a lot. You have yes. to read the, the authors themselves. You it's have true. to understand the grammar. Yeah. It is a grammar. It is a way of thinking. You have to embed yourself in that way of thinking. And you have to find a way to translate that in an accessible manner for people that are not part of that at all, that don't know what this is about. So the book is not overly scholarly in that sense. Mm -hmm. You see, it is a book that that situates itself in between. It's, it's useful for scholars, it is, but at the same time, it really seeks to 
get the attention of non-specialists. And I think this is what we tr try to do. I, I've, I've seen my work uh, as, a, as a professor and as a scholar as a kind of, um, you, you want to make complicated things a bit more simple for ind mm -hmm. individuals to understand. You want this stuff to be accessible and you want them to understand the implications of what all of this means. Because even in, you're talking about the UK and you're talking about America, uh, uh, you're talking about other places in Europe. Mm -hmm. In Canada, it's the same thing. We don't have this, you know, exuberance that we have in the US. There are uh, provinces that are more attuned to this kind of stuff than other places, like Alberta uh, mm -hmm. was often characterized as, uh, you know, God's own province. <laughs> you know, the Bible like Belt of yeah, Canada. That's, that's, it's the Bible <laughs> Belt of Canada. But to, you know, talk to people about all of this in Quebec, for example, which is extremely yeah. secular. Uh, despite what we say, uh, you know, it is very secular. It's hard for them to to really understand what's going on and their te the tendency is just saying you know all these people are crazy and all of that and you have to tell them no you, it, it doesn't you, you don't solve anything by calling people crazy you have to understand what it is mm -hmm. you really have to understand what it is uh, to be able to realize what the implications are politically and what the implications in some cases can be for democracy mm -hmm. uh, so so that's what the book is about that's what the book tries to do uh, that's what we also tried to do. And you probably saw this. I sent you a, a link, uh, Clint, on uh, a statement that some mm -hmm. NAR individuals came out with uh, recently, last week, in fact. And uh, Fred Clarson, who is associated with the uh, Political Research Associates that you know very well. And I think mm -hmm. you actually talked to, with him maybe at one point. Yeah, time. I wrote an article yeah. for... Yeah, PRA last PRA, year. PRA, yes, yes, I think Christian I saw homeschooling. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, I saw that excellent piece, mm -hmm. by the way. Yeah, thank um, you. So, so uh, we've been collaborating for about since the probably the beginning of uh, October. I've been in touch with with Fred for for a long time, and with people like uh, Rachel that were part of Talk to uh, to Action at the time, and Bruce Wilson. Mm -hmm. We've been in, in touch. Uh, but at one point we were talking, Fred and I, and saying, you know, it'd be nice to write something together. We, we you know, to get to get our ideas across. And uh, he had an idea at one point, and we 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 did write a first piece in August around the issue of uh, a possible rift in the New Apostolic Reformation that emerged out of the uh, another statement that came out in uh, April 2021 called the Prophetic Standards. You remember all the failed prophecies around Trump? Oh, yeah. Uh, I did a couple of episodes on yeah. that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know all of that. Of it, so, yeah. so, you know, there are a group of Christians uh, that are tied to the charismatic movement that tried to, in April of 2021, to kind of regulate what would be prophecy and uh, critiquing, in a sense, those, mm -hmm. uh, those that engage in, in this kind of political prophesying. So there was a first statement there, and we we talked about that and the consequences of that in that first article. And then we decided to because there, you know, since as as you're very much aware, in a couple of weeks there are going to be the midterm elections here. Mm -hmm. You know, the, mainstream media is start is starting to pick up on on the new apostolic reformation. There, you know, there are more and more candidates. Uh, you have Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm a lot of the news there and we have people that are you know really doing a lot of research on his work 
there. And uh, so a lot of reporting has come out out of the awareness that there are there is a group, there, there are individuals that belong to this movement. And uh, as we were seeing the reporting on that, and it's very difficult then, as we were saying, uh, Clint, to report mm-hmm. on that if you're coming at it for the first time. You're, yeah, you're seeing it's true. apostles, the prophets prophesying, seven mountains mandate, dominionism, they're throwing left and right, you know, and you have these names, Dutch Dutch sheets and Lance mm-hmm. Wall now and, and Mario Marullo. Cindy Jacobs, and, yeah, so Cindy many, Jacobs, Hank Cuban, so many names. So many people. Yeah. And it, it becomes difficult. How, how do you make sense of all of this? And Fred has been working on, on all of these religious groups for, for since yeah, the 90s, years. For years. Like when nobody was talking about this, Fred was talking about this. Mm-hmm. And I have been really working on this too. So we decided to join our forces and try to provide a bit of a, and that, and that was Fred's idea, kind of a, come up with a reporter's guide mm. on how to speak about that when when reporters are engaging in research where to look for sources who are the main players mm-hmm. how to finding terms them. yeah that's it terms you know like yeah. apost- terminology is huge like, like yeah. what's an apostle you know uh, what's a prophet what do they do yeah. what is prophesying all of this uh, what are networks like what is an apostolic mm-hmm. network yeah and and just kind of give guidelines. These are not we're not targeting anybody in in these reporter guide reporters guides, but we're just giving you know guidelines to help people yeah. if they feel you know inclined to to take a look at it. And we're probably going to work on it on another one. We we have two of these reporter guide uh, reporter guides that came out. Uh, we're working on a third one uh, that I don't know maybe in a couple of weeks or so is going to come out. And uh, because we got interrupted by this statement, NAR yeah, and the other thing. nationalism yeah. statement. Uh, so that's why we, we kind of... Uh, had to put that on hold. Uh, we put that on hold and, you know, really gave ourselves to, to kind of uh, giving our a bit of our assessment on mm-hmm. The thing is, these ideas, I mean, I would say they are dangerous. They do spread, don't they? Because when you were talking about Canada and, the, and Europe being so different than America... I've seen some things where in Canadian politics, there are evangelicals, charismatics, dominionists who are making inroads in certain places. So it's they're looking at the playbook of Trump evangelicals in America and saying, okay, we can copy that here in Canada. Yeah. We can do that. And then I was thinking, I don't know if you've come across Crawford Gribben's book about Christian reconstruction in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yes, this is a whole another thing. Oh, that's where, another yeah. Yes. I've been yes. doing a lot of research on Doug Wilson, and that's kind of the focus yes. of Gribben's book. And it's sort of like he traces how guys like Wilson and others now are picking up sort of the torch of Christian Reconstructionism, Dominion theology. They've sanded off the rough, more objectionable edges, mm-hmm. but he's got a whole thing going on up there in Moscow, Idaho, basically building a religious empire and trying to spread the word in a new way that Rush Dooney, I don't know if he would approve of that, but he's taken his ideas and taken them to, to new levels, you know, so these things are on the move, aren't they? You have to be aware, like you say, of what's going on in these movements. Absolutely. You're, you're spot on. The thing in Canada, and it's true what you're saying, you know, they're looking, some of these groups are looking at the playbook in the U.S. and, and you know, maybe we can do this and we're going to try and we're going to try to influence politics and and try to influence, you know, the policies on on abortion and so on. The only impediment that we have here is that they don't have the numbers. 
You see, that's right. that's the difference. The base isn't <laughs> there. Look, that's it. That's it. They don't have the numbers. It's 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 incomparable. Yeah, in those the sheer numbers, that, right? Oh, the sheer numbers in the U.S. is uh, you know this is why staggering. Such a, it's staggering. In, it in really is. Their, their influence and the you know how how they're permeated uh, permeated in in various networks. It's 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 just mind blowing and it's hard to follow. There's so much stuff. That it's at one point you have to choose something that you're going to follow, or else mm -hmm. you know you're going to. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It can it's be. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely overwhelming. You said something very interesting in that in that book on Christian Reconstructionism and what's happening in the American Northwest. Eh? Mm -hmm. And and this is something that that we'll have to kind of continue discussing when we're talking about the media. And they're, they're streams of dominionism. Right? Oh, yeah. So you, and, and you talked about this in, in your piece for PRA about the Christian Reconstruction stream. What we're seeing in Reawaken America Tour is more the kind of the Kingdom Now stream right? mm. that emerged with Earl Polk right. in, in the 1980s, eh? which mm -hmm. is very strongly rooted in latter rain theology. Huh? Yeah. So, 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 and at one point, of course, there was a marriage of that in, right. in the eighties. In huh? There's a marriage between uh, Christian Reconstructionists and and the more we would call them, uh, and Rachel uh, talked about uh, 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 charismatic dominionism, which is mm -hmm. not exactly the same. Yeah, there's subtle that, differences. That spirit, yeah, that's it. That's it. It has the 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 infusing of spiritual gifts and supernatural power that. You won't see in the, yeah. in the Christian Reconstructionist camp, even if Gary North was a bit more open to the possibility of some spiritual gifts compared to Rushduni himself, mm -hmm. but not to the extent that we're seeing with you know neo-charismatic Pentecostals now, and and their strategy of mobilization is 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 different. When you talk about the Seven Mountains mandate, it, it's really different in in terms of what. The, the the people and and Rizduni's world was about they kind of hijacked some of Rizduni's ideas and, mm -hmm. and, and made them more charismatic in a yeah. sense. So that's important, I think, for us as scholars and and for journalists to understand the various streams of dominionism. We can have a general understanding or a general definition of what it is huh? that. You know, it's it's this perception, it's this theocratic idea that Christians are called by God to rule or govern the world, and take and doing this through taking possession of cultural and social institutions. And we can we can talk about this in general terms, but its manifestations are very you know they're they're different when you look at the charismatic side of it. Mm -hmm. And Rishduni, Rishduni, as you know, relied very much on the sovereignty of God. Uh, yeah, he's a him, good Calvinist. He's a fantastic oh, yeah. Calvinist. Yeah, he sense. was. He's very faithful to, you know, the sovereignty of God, and, and yeah. it's rooted in Calvinistic thinking. You have the Seven Mountains Mandate people and the uh, Kingdom Now people that are not Calvinist at all. They're Arminian. So they collaborate with God. You see, they have to get involved. They mm -hmm. have to, you know, ha almost help God. <laughs> established a it's a partnership thing yeah it's really really a partnership thing yeah so it's so, so true I, yeah so this i think is is important for us to to dif differentiate 
to kind of speak about those streams also of dominionism, not only groups like Christian Reconstructionism or New Apostolic Reformation, but also the types of streams that we encounter in, mm -hmm. in that thinking of what we see as, as dominionist yeah. theology. Yeah. One, one of the things I've seen in the charismatic side they're much more of an emphasis on spiritual warfare, yeah. you know, obviously unseating the demonic powers that are sitting atop the mountains. And you don't hear any yeah. of that in Rush Dooney, do you? It's, <laughs> it's more about no. that. That's the Doug Wilson model. Basically, he's that's where I see him picking up that aspect of Rush Dooney. It's a grassroots thing through homeschooling, through generations and generations, raising children with a biblical worldview in air quotes. And eventually yeah. there's going to be enough of them whereby they will have dominion. They're going to, in a post-millennialist theology or eschatology, you know, so completely different from, they're not talking about unseating demons top cultural mountains. Oh, no, no. And yet, what's interesting, though, is that I've seen the Seven Mountains mandate language becoming more and more the sort of lingua franca of mainstream evangelicalism. Because one thing Catherine Stewart talks about, she's gone to these events where people from the Family Research Council are doing like pastoral get out the vote conferences in churches, and they're using Seven Mountains mandate yeah. language. And yeah. in theory, that that shouldn't happen because they're not a charismatic <laughs> entity at all. But yet, yeah. it's become just the the parlance. We're going to just take dominion over these seven mountains of culture. You hear David Barton talking about it and things yeah. like that. You know, yeah. why is that coming out of their mouths? Because it's just. It's a convenient sort of model, I guess, that, that seems to work on, on a lot of levels. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, in a sense, it's not a theology that's Seven Mountains Mandate. It is mm -hmm. a mo mobilization strategy. Huh? It is a strategy. The dominionism itself is the theology. But how do you get to dominionism? You have a strategy, which is the Seven Mountains Mandate. And it fits very well. As oh, you're yeah. saying, it you, know, you can you can, uh, you can uh, kind of uh, uh, remove all the you know spiritual warfare kind of uh, you know strategic level warfare of fighting demons and keep just the mountains, <laughs> just right, keep, right, and just get involved in 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 the mind molders. I mean, yeah, people like Cunningham and Bright used to use even that language of the mind molder. Yeah. And that's sufficient. So we see that there is a marriage, at least in terms of this idea that's, that, that Christians need to somehow you know, penetrate society, socially transform it in order to make sure that the kingdom of God will progress mm -hmm. in American society, but in the world also. This is not just an American thing. This is also the, the ultimate goal is, of course, the kingdom of God on earth. This marriage, by the way, and, and you're probably very familiar with that, too, having studied dominionism. You know, when, when I was research, researching this, what really brought like the, 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 the Christian reconstructionists and like the kingdom now people, Pentecostalizing mm -hmm. types of groups together was really the coalition on revival. Right. I was Jay, just going to bring Jay, that up. That's yeah. it. Jay Grimstead was the architect of this movement, which really sought a broad coalition towards dominionism. And when you look at their worldview documents, for example, mm -hmm. their statement of purpose, they're talking about having in their midst, you know, 
uh, you have Presbyterians, Reformed, Pentecostals, they, and you have all-millennialists, post-millennialists, pre-millennialists. Yeah, all sorts of theological. Yeah. That's it. We're putting that aside in yeah. order to bring social uh, transformation. That's there, too. And, and since that time, you know, this, this kind of uh, appropriation of language, of dominion language by the more charismatic-leaning uh, groups uh, have been clearly to the fore. And now what we see more and more, of course, is, is that, that kind of charismatic dominionism. This is what exactly. we constantly hear about. Right? Since yeah. Uh, I was going to say that, yeah. Right. Reading those worldview papers on the Coalition on Revival's website, what you can see right away is just look at the signatories. Look at who signed those documents. And what shocked me, when I read the first worldview paper, it was signed by, it was like a manifesto, and it was Dr. Joe Aldrich who I was like, I know who that is because that was my Bible college. He was the he wow. was the president of the Bible college I attended back in the 1990s. And I thought, why would Dr. Joe Aldrich, president of Multnomah Bible College, be signing a dominionist document? He was not a dominionist as far as I could tell from his theology. But I think it, your, your point's exactly right. It had such a broad appeal that guys like Dr. Joe Aldridge and many other signatories who wouldn't necessarily call themselves, you know, Christian Reconstructionists or Dominionists, they signed on to the project because it was it was exactly what it was intended for, and that's that was the genius of the Coalition on Revival, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And now there, you know, you have groups like, for example, the and we say this in our in our assessment of the recent Declaration NAR uh, and Christian Reconstructionism. Uh, no, no, uh, Christian nationalism, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, you have the uh, International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders on their website. They point you to the worldview document. Right. There's a link you're, to the... You're, you're, you're uh, directly. Right. You go there, it's directly there. Right. You click it on lays it, it right it out. Brings, it's, it's, it's amazing. When you think <laughs> it. You're, you're in a new apostolic reformation network. Right. That Why would they be? Essentially, yeah. that's, that's it. That's it. That it make any sense. Point, points you there. You yeah, see. So what's so, that about? They're they're together. You see, they 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 can adhere to the worldview documents because Grinstead was was able to navigate some of the more difficult elements that sometimes Christian Reconstructionists had problems with let's say, pre-millennialists. Mm -hmm. He was able to navigate that and downplay some of the things uh, in relation to that and, and focus more on the general commonality, which fit up to a certain extent with, with many of these people. Yeah. Fred Clarkson was, was reminding me that uh, even Wagner was involved in those discussions with core people, with right, right. on revival people, which is you know, incredible when you think about it. I was going to ask and you we're about in that. the eighties. We're yeah. in the eighties. Yeah. He's in the middle of the decades third ago. <laughs> yeah, but but Wagner is experiencing or he's discovering the third wave. When we come back in the second half of my conversation with Dr. Andre Gagne, we're going to be talking more about this issue of the new apostolic reformation. Guys like Dr. C. Peter Wagner, where does it actually come from? What are the origins of the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation? 
We're going to talk a little bit more about the seven mountains, mandate, dominion, theology, and how come that in particular is really being seen so much today or since the 2020 election, I should say, on the charismatic NAR side, the pro-Trump guys propounding the big lie, pushing really this idea that they prophesied that Trump was going to win the 2020 election. Why haven't they given that up? And then we're going to conclude by talking about where's the Christian right? Where's all this dominionism going today? Where's it going to end up? What is Andre's prediction for how this sort of concludes or what's the end game? So we're going to look for that in the second half of this chat. I wanted to mention though, before we get back into the talk with Andre, what's coming up here on the next few episodes here on Mindship Podcast. As I mentioned, I've been working a, a lot on these episodes, doing an expose, a really deep dive into Pastor Doug Wilson. He's a controversial pastor slash what, maybe cult leader out of Moscow, Idaho. I've been doing a ton of research, a ton of writing on that, working on some episodes coming out. But as it's turning out, there's actually too much information. I was going to split them into two episodes but I think it may end up going as many as three long episodes. And then I've got at least two supporting episodes to go along with it. I had a conversation with David Johnson about a Christian defense of slavery. And this is part and parcel related to the Doug Wilson universe. He wrote a book along with Stephen Wilkins back in 1996 called Southern Slavery as it was. And I wanted to reach out to David to talk about this because he's an expert in this field. And so we talked about not only the Doug Wilson connection, but the general sort of Christian defense of slavery, how could they justify slavery before the Civil War in the South? So that's a fascinating conversation with David Johnson. And then I had a really good conversation as well with Kate West. Now, she grew up in the sort of quiverful Doug Wilson homeschooling environment. She's got a fascinating backstory. So that also relates to this sort of Doug Wilson universe and how that's all playing out, and especially the victims of that system, people like Kate who come out of that. And so she's got an incredible story. So there's at least two episodes that go along with my research on Doug Wilson. But I think before those come out, it's going to give me a little bit more time. I've got a scheduled call with Jenny Cohn, and she's an author, a journalist. She writes for the Bucks County Beacon, and she's doing a ton of work on the new apostolic reformation. So that really goes along with this conversation with Dr. Andre Gagne, she's been doing a lot of stuff on this Reawaken America tour. Clay Clark, guys like Mike Lindell, Mike Flynn, these guys are unbelievable. It's a, a toxic blend. I think I mentioned this in the chat with Andre. We're seeing this. It's like a toxic blend of QAnon, Trumpism, Dominion theology, evangelicalism, all these conspiracy theories all rolled into one big toxic mess. And so I'm really excited to be able to talk to Jenny because she's written some really good articles in the Bucks County Beacon about what's going on in the New Apostolic Reformation, sort of these apostles and prophets. So it's a, a kind of continuation of this chat with Andre. And then speaking of David Johnson, we just had our MindShift Zoom call a couple of weeks ago as this episode comes out with David, and we talked about the teachings of Jesus. We had a really fascinating discussion looking at this question as to whether or not Jesus was, in fact, a good teacher. And it was a good kind of deconstruction session. The feedback off the back of it was that it was really good because some of the people on the call said, you know, I didn't want to have anything to do with the Gospels anymore. But that session with David really kind of made me focus again and realize some of the reasons why I am, in fact, not a Christian. And then speaking 
speaking of MindShift Zoom calls, we've got one coming up, our last one of 2022, with Bruce Geringster. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. I can never seem to get it right, but Bruce was on the show a little bit ago. He's an ex-independent fundamental Baptist pastor. We had a really good chat the other day. It came out a couple weeks ago now, but he's going to be our guest for the last MindShift Zoom call of 2022. So I'm really looking forward to having a chat with Bruce. And how can you get on those calls? Well, you can be a Patreon supporter of the show. You can go to my link, which is always in the show notes, and that gets you access to our closed MindShift Podcast Facebook group. And there you'll get the links to those calls. So if you want to be on that call with Bruce in the month of November, hit me up on Patreon and I will add you into our closed Facebook group. You can also find me on Twitter at MindShift2018. You can also send me a private message on Facebook through my public MindShift Podcast Facebook page. So it's a couple of ways you can get a hold of me if you want to chat. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments on any of these shows, let me know what you're thinking and I would love to chat with you. Let's get on back into the second half of the chat with Dr. Andre Gagne looking at this issue of dominionism as a strategy of mobilization. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you. Where's the NAR come from? Because obviously a name like Dr. C. Peter Wagner, he's he think he coined the term, although he kind yeah. of downplayed it from what I gather. But you mentioned Bill Bright, Lauren Cunningham from Youth with a Mission and, and uh, Campus yeah. Crusade for Christ. This is the, the roots of the New Apostolic Reformation, Seven Mountains stuff. Is that where, where you would trace it back to? In fact, the strategy that we talked about, the Seven Mountains mandate, that would go back to 1975 with mm-hmm. Cunningham and Bright. But the real, like the idea of the apostolic, the, the person that really kind of pushed this was Wagner. Mm-hmm. He was already very cognizant of what was going on in the 90s. He, he came out with books in 1999 uh, uh, talking about apostolic churches. His uh, famous church quake book, is 1999 and it, at the bottom it's it, the new apostolic reformation so right in the 90s he's experiencing a kind of move of the apostolic you see and and in 2001 he's going to kind of officially kind of say okay i think it starts officially in 2001 so he coins the term but it's it's a process uh, this idea of new apostolic reformation is really a process And this is why we have to read a lot of these people that have been there from the beginning. We have to go back to people like uh, Apostle slash Prophet Bill Hammond, who Mm -hmm. kind of tried to map out a history of the fivefold ministry. He was talking about, uh, uh, you know, evangelists that came out in uh, the 40s and and 50s. And then you had the pastors in the 60s and 70s and then the prophetic in the 80s and then the 90s would be the 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 decade of the apostles where god would be restoring the fivefold ministry Mm -hmm. decade by decade but that's a kind of interesting reading that he came up with you see Mm. uh rooted in the latter rain because hammond was was influenced by the latter rain he was close to people from the latter rain latter rain movement that uh as you know started in uh Saskatchewan, Canada. You say, yeah, it was a Canadian thing, wasn't it? It was a Canadian thing that spread throughout <laughs> yeah. the, the world. But Hammond was very much inspired by that, this, this idea of fivefold ministry. It, it really comes from that, uh, as we understand it today in these circles. 
Now, it doesn't mean that people or Pentecostals uh, early on didn't believe in apostles, prophets, pastors, yeah. evangelists. The Ephesians 5 thing. Yeah. yeah, they did. They did. You have early Pentecostals uh, that did believe that. But the way that this is articulated today uh, amongst new apostolic reformation people, that's really rooted in ideas that come out of uh, the latter reign and then are picked up by people like Bill Hammond and Earl Polk, by the mm -hmm. way, who were close. Uh, both of them were quite close. So it's interesting because I'm reading stuff when you're reading Hammond, uh, you're reading his book on the eternal church or uh, the day of the saints and others where he lays out his history mm -hmm. of the, the various uh, ministries. You almost hear in his description of what Christians are supposed to do in the world, you almost hear Earl Polk. It's right. like, it's like almost the, as, as theology the talking of, points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the same language because mm. they were very close to one another. So, yeah. um, so that's where we have to see this, this kind of development. And Wagner as an individual, you, I, I don't know if you had the chance of reading his own uh, memoir. He talks about his journey mm. into all of this. It's fascinating. Oh, right. Wagner goes through phases. Like he 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 was a missionary and he he got enthralled with the church growth uh, movement with McGarvin, yeah, Wimber, yeah, Vineyard Wimber. movement, yeah. That's it. And then yeah. with with Wimber, the, the the third way, he met uh, Cindy Jacobs, the prophetic. Yeah. Meets Pierce, the apostolic. So he goes through these phases, and because he is a pro prolific theologian and writer. He influences people through his writing. So people are not kind of, you know, aware of the literary production of Wagner and how oh, that yeah. has permeated non-denominational networks and churches and has brought us to the point of where we are today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hugely prolific writer, wasn't he? Well, in your research, did you notice that this is something I think I've seen from maybe the outside that seems like the the more the high profile Trump supporters, the evangelical supporters, the ones who are part of his you know evangelical advisory board and things like that, and the ones who are carrying on the torch now, you know the the Reawaken America tour and things like that. They're out promoting the big lie. They're they're proclaiming you know that I saw a thing about with Kat Kerr the other day, oh and she was at <laughs> she was at some conference. <laughs> And she was, you know, declaring that in the courtrooms of heaven, I heard God say that Trump is the legitimate president and everyone's going to know soon. And, you know, they're declaring this and declaring that. Thus says the Lord, blah, blah, blah. Even the fake news will have to tell the truth. For they will say these very words. We don't want to say this. We tried to prove it wasn't true, that it was a lie, but Trump won the 2020 election. He is the president of the United States of America, and I will give him his four more years. There will not need to be an election to cause that to happen. For I have already spoken from the courtroom of heaven even into the unknown space, into the spirit realm, the physical realm, 
Those words have already been spoken. You can write it down. That it will be proven that Trump, who was my chosen person, is my chosen person, to sit in the seat of the White House, who will wipe up this mess like a mop bucket so there's no trace of it. Why are they the ones so vested in, even now, two years almost after the failed election, why are they still pushing the big lie? Why are they still so desperate to quote unquote prove that Trump is the rightful president? Because they look bad, eh? They have failed mm. prophecies. Yeah, so they, they all prophesied he's going to win. <laughs> That's it. So so they have to figure out if he's not there, where, like, if he's not really the president, at least in the White House, He's declared by God in the courts of heaven as being the president. Mm -hmm. So the, the prophecy hasn't really failed. You see, that's, that's right, what right. <laughs> We actually for were right like all along. That's it. That's yeah. it. For people like Katar and Hank Kunaman uh, and others. Yeah. And, and this is interesting what you're bringing up here, especially Kat Kerr and, and that kind of prophetic voice. We're really out. We're kind of these are non-Wagnerian networks mm -hmm. or people. They're not really kind of, they're kind of, uh, I would say, uh, freelance prophetic figures. Huh? Kind of, they're uh, not attached to any denomination or really, network. No, and, yeah. and they're not part of the uh, coalition of apostolic right. leaders. They're not There's really no accountability on one, on one level. It. It's not the same thing. And what came out in, in April of 2021, the, the prophetic standards, that were actually crafted by Joseph Matera, who is the leading convener. He is the leading mm -hmm. apostle of the what we call the United States Coalition of Apostolic uh, Leaders, which is under ICAL, under the International Coalition. He wrote that with uh, Michael Brown, who is a, um, a, a an author, speaker. Uh, he writes books. Uh, he came out with a book on on Jezebel in America and others. Mm. Um, so they 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 kind of wanted to make some cleanup in terms of right. all of, what's happening. Clean up the mess. <laughs> That's it. Clean up the mess. But it didn't really work. <laughs> right. Because these people are still on. You know, they're still around. They're still attracting uh, attracting. Oh yeah, huge audiences. Uh, the, the reawakening tour. They're always there. Uh, you have all sorts of new prophets coming in and all of that. So it hasn't worked. Eh? That's this 2021 mm -hmm. standard uh, prophetic standard document. Now, the new document, NAR and Christian nationalism, I don't know if it's going to really pick up either. It's going mm -hmm. to be surprising because key individuals that are part of the NAR, people like Che An, Cindy Jacobs, Lance Wallnow, Dutch Sheets, Chuck Pierce, they didn't mm -hmm. sign this. Right. And yeah, they, they didn't sign on. No, no. And they yeah. haven't signed the prophetic standards either. No. Nope. So this is why there's probably a problem. There's a probably a rift going on mm -hmm. in new apostolic reformation circles. And you have people that want to dis distance themselves. And you have other people that, you know, they're just on that bandwagon, that political prophetic bandwagon and, and continuing. And they're they're kind of uh, developing uh, relationships with these kind of individual mm -hmm. prophetic figures like Kat Kerr and Hank uh, Kunaman and others, you see. So yeah. they're still on because, you know, for them, Trump won. He won in God's yeah. office and he is the president in the divine courts.
Yeah, because the implications of them being a false prophet, that's basically what I did just after the 2020 election. And I was hearing all these prophecies of these people like Kat Kerr and Hank Kuhneman and on and on and on saying, you know, we were going to predict Trump was going to win in a, by a landslide and all the rest of it. And then when he didn't win, they doubled down. And I basically went through in the Old Testament, New Testament, look at the verses in the Bible that that spell out what is considered a false prophet or a, a legitimate prophet. And I just said, look, you know, if they fail to predict an event and said, God told me this is going to happen exactly as I say it's going to, you're a false prophet. And there's no accountability, though, like you say. No one's calling these people to account. They're still out there two years later, you know, saying Trump did win. We were right, as you say, all along. And you know what they're going to say also, and you you saw this, I'm sure. They're going to explain it away by saying, you know, the tenor of our prophecies are not equivalent to Old Testament prophets. Right. Yeah, it's a different category say, now. It's or a kind of a different, different dispensation, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and what they're going to say is, you know, the New Testament says that uh, prophets need to be judged. If you read First Corinthians right. 14, everybody can profit one at a time and others judge. And Paul in other epistles will say, judge the prophecies. So they're going to say these are, this is not or does not have the authority of an Old Testament prophet. And the prophetic mm -hmm. standards in April 2021 emphasize that. Right. And it's interesting, the NAR and Christian nationalism new statement re-emphasizes that too. So it's, it's like a way to not name anybody <laughs> you know they never mm -hmm. name and nobody yeah anybody. nobody was actually pointed out by name That's or it. They, they never name anybody mm -hmm. but it's a way for them to kind of minimize the damages by saying you know it's not equivalent to old testament prophecy and you have even uh, mm. scholars uh, that are attached uh, at least in terms of networking with some of these uh, individuals that explain it also that way, that we'll use the Bible and we'll kind of explain that there is a difference, you know, to, to kind of, so that people will not completely discredit individuals. Mm -hmm. It's always about reputations and making mm -hmm. sure that you're not publicly criticizing someone, and, you know, because if you criticize publicly, and, and, and I know this because I've speaking, I, 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 I've spoken to some people that, you know, they, they embrace uh, the fivefold ministry and stuff like that. And they're aware of the problems. And one of the things is, you know, we don't like to speak ill publicly of individuals. And, and why is that? It's because they feel that if they do, they might grieve the Holy Spirit. It might, right. you know, produce a division in the body of Christ. Oh, and that's can't have that. Good. It can't happen. Mm. So you see, so that's why they're, they're kind of very careful in how they try to frame uh, their objections to some of these uh, practices. Hmm. Well, where do you all see all this going? Because as you mentioned, okay, the Christian right won a major victory in overturning Roe versus Wade. And that's, as I see it, all tied in with the Christian nationalist argument yeah. saying America was a Christian nation. It needs to become one again. Yeah. They have had a long-term, decades-long strategy of electing the right president who will then appoint conservative judges on multiple bench levels with a view to you know the Supreme Court, which they accomplished with Trump. And then you saw all these, suddenly these draconian anti-abortion laws come out off the back of that. You knew 
It was going to go to the Supreme Court, and they did, in fact, overturn Roe versus Wade. So they could say, look, we've we are turning America back into a Christian nation. We are taking dominion, you know, and you've got things like the Reawaken America tour. I mean, this is a a hodgepodge of QAnon and conspiracy theories and, you know, miracle quack cures and COVID deniers and all this and Christian nationalism and dominion theology. And you got guys like Mike Lindell and Mike Flynn. And I mean, it's just, it's a mess. I mean, where's all this going to end up? What's the end game? (laughs) It's like, of course, their goal is to win the house and the Senate. That's Mm -hmm. the goal. Even if they don't, this is not going away. It's not going to go away. Uh, there's 2024 will trump that that's the question yeah is he gonna run again if it's not trump will it be DeSantis? what like who is it gonna be you see they're not going away (laughs) they're not going quietly into that good night no eh? (laughs) no they're not going away and uh, they're becoming more and more influential they have yes you know a huge following on their social media platforms uh, they command attention. They have YouTube channels, uh, Twitter, mm. whatever. You know, they're on yeah, Rumble, mega followers. They, they, they're, they're, you know, they, they're everywhere, and they manage to get people moving. The thing is, they have a narrative. You see, they mm-hmm. have a story. I read a good opinion piece. Uh, I can't remember the name of the author that was talking about. I think it was the in the New York Times um, talking about how the the right runs circles around yeah. the left in terms of having a narrative even yeah, if that narrative is you know even if that narrative is dystopian and discouraging mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. they have straight a story. out of the handmaid's tale that's at least it, they've got it. one but they have a sto- story you see yeah. and they, yeah. they and they know how to mobilize people and we know that the christian right has always always been very good in terms of networking they have churches they have connections they have they have mm-hmm. the money they have they're more organized yeah they got deep pockets yeah, yeah they got some dark money mega donors and all that. Yeah, that's it. They have the DeVos family and so many that's others. It. The mechanisms are there. Yeah. So it's not going to go away. Are they going to change candidates? Are there going to be new prophets on the scene coming up? If Doug Mastriano wins, oh my goodness, you know, what's mm-hmm. going to happen to Pennsylvania? People, some people are really worried about that. But if he doesn't, he, you know, something started with Mastriano. Uh, in in Pennsylvania, and he's actually when you look at the guy, he actually fits even more better the bill than Trump because right. he is a dedicated quote right. unquote Christian, at least in his mind or how people envision what a Christian should be. He he fits the bill better than, yeah. than Trump. Yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't even be surprised uh, that someone with Ma- like Mastriano would 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 uh, become. A, a Republican candidate a nominee for the presidency eventually in a, in a couple of years or so. I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. at all. Especially if Trump so, gets Trump, taken down and all his legal exactly, you know affairs exactly. that are they're coming after exactly. him left, right, and center. Someone's uh, it, got to get to him, man. He's a yeah, Teflon and, Don, isn't he? Literally, it's, it's incredible that he hasn't been indicted with yeah, everything. If it was anybody else, it, like you it's know, incredible taking classified documents and you know. <laughs> That right it's there would land any of us it's, in prison. Oh, you know? no, no. A long time ago. Like, <laughs> no, no. It's, it's yeah. mind-boggling. But You're no, absolutely it's right. Not, yeah, it's not it's not going away. And But the thing is, what we need to do is continue informing people, hmm. being precise in how we speak about those things, not engage in this kind of broad brushing of, you know, 
everybody's a dominionist or is a Christian. No, we can't do that. Of course, that's not true. But we need to be able to explain to people carefully and adequately what these people are about, how their project is, you know, has a certain menace to it in terms of it's not a pluralistic project. It's no, it isn't. At least in in our understanding of what democracy is, it really questions that form of democracy that you know people understand it to be. Absolutely. So, well, uh, just look at look at the way the anti-abortion laws are being enforced yeah, in certain it. states, and then you go, it. "Is that a system that you want to live under?" That's it. If you're exactly not a Christian right. and you want to, you know, it. yeah, what do you do? What do you do? Like, yeah. what's your place? If Where you do you go? Embrace that that view. You see? Yeah, and so, I, so, yeah. Just look at Calvin's Geneva and some of these other places. I mean, <laughs> yes. I read a book that talked about Calvin's Geneva, and it, what really struck me was the author said that Reconstructionists and Dominionists they they look to places like Calvin's Geneva yeah. as a model for the way things should be. And yeah. I would not want to live in Calvin's Geneva, you know. And so that that's a, a sober warning, isn't it? As long as people like you are out there get helping to get the word out, I'm I'm glad to know uh, when your book then comes out. We'll be glad to know that it's going to be translated into English for those of us that unfortunately don't speak any French at all. I go to <laughs> Paris and I'm I'm shocked at how bad my French is, you know. But <laughs> you got to ask the gift of tongues. No, no, I'm joking. Yeah, it's true. It's true. What's well, funny when we did go to Paris on holiday? Yeah, the Parisians all wanted to practice their English. So we did. We it. didn't get a chance to speak much French. <laughs> I was really desperate because I had the guidebook and everything, and yeah, it didn't yeah. work so well. So my French yeah. is is not good. But, but you guys are so close, also. You know, it's true. Yeah, we're right here. Well, Belgium is one of my favorite places. I'm a big World War One buff, so we go oh. every year. We go across to the World War One battlefield, so we'll go to uh, Menengate and Ypres in Belgium and places like that, and. You know, so I I tr- I do try to pick up a little bit of French, and I yeah. come back with loads of Belgian beer. You know, so that's a, <laughs> that's always a, a great win. Wow! Bel- as you know, I miss Belgium. I I, oh, you know, yeah. I did a conjoint a PhD uh, in Belgium and mm-hmm. in Montreal, so we spent a year in Belgium. Phenomenal! Oh, I love Belgium. Yeah, so Belgian good. beer is the best. So so, yes. so good. Well, listen, thank you so much. I'll let you go. Uh, we'll, okay. we'll notify people when your book comes out in uh, English. What's the best place for people to get a hold of you? Just before you go, how can they find you on social media? Basically, my Twitter handle. Right. Uh, it's uh, at Andre underscore Gagne one. So if, of course, if you tweet <laughs> mm-hmm. the, uh, this episode, you, you can maybe tag uh, me. And uh, yeah. that, that's the best way. I also have uh, in my bio, there's a uh, link to my faculty page. Right. So if people want to get in touch with me, they can go to my faculty page. They'll find my email address uh, very easily there. So right. um, people can get a hold of it. Uh, All right. I'll put your Twitter yeah. handle in the show notes and uh, hopefully some people contact you about this episode and your book as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Andre Gagne, for taking the time out. Thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you once again, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for having me, Clint. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, have a nice... Uh, you're, you're at night, so have a nice evening. That's true, yeah. It's <laughs> evening here. I'm going to go eat dinner and have a pint, I think. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. Thanks, Andre. Take care. Take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. Take care.